You are listening to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast, a show covering the hometown Milwaukee Brewers as we analyze the roster, report on the latest rumors, and discuss their quest to bring the World Series trophy to Milwaukee for the first time. Here are your hosts, Peter and David Goh. Welcome to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. I am your host, Peter Go, alongside my host, David. David, it's been a couple weeks since we last got on the podcast. A lot has happened, a lot to cover today. Today we'll be breaking down whether the Brewers have a fighting shot at making the playoffs. I think uh, back a couple months ago, it felt like the Brewers were a, a lock for that NL Central spot. and Maybe that was a bit of overconfidence, but a lot has changed since that. Uh, the Brewers roster, of course, being the most significant um, and so we'll be breaking down today whether the Brewers still have a shot at both winning the National League Central as well as making the playoffs in a wild card spot this year. And then we'll also, of course, be talking about the Brewers' decision to call up Garrett Mitchell. I think it was a, a bit of a maybe perhaps controversial call up in that there were other options to consider as well. Brewers ultimately decided to go with Mitchell. Uh, but Brewers fans should be excited about a new starter in center field in Garrett Mitchell. He has shined so far. And I saw, I don't know, about like 35 tweets about how the Brewers were undefeated in the Garrett Mitchell era. So Brewers fans, very excited to have him. Interesting, a uh, big old leg kick in the left-handed batter's box, hopefully for years to come. So Garrett Mitchell, our second topic of the day. Third, Craig Council, and a question on whether he is still one of the best managers in all of baseball. Uh, known around baseball as one of the best, but seems to have been making some questionable decisions, so we'll be breaking that down today, and then briefly, finally touching on some September call-up rules a little bit different than the rules we used to know and love. Uh, I will give you a hint. Keon Broxson probably will not be returning to the Brewers for his uh, just about biannual, annual, annual probably that would be, uh, trip to the Brewers in September. But we'll be briefly touching on on how that will impact the Brewers roster as they look to try to make the playoffs here on this final push. So David, all that. But first off, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well today. I got a chance yesterday to go see a new minor league ballpark the arkansas travelers down in little rock nice environment bobblehead giveaway for the pride of waukesha wisconsin jared kelnick so it was fun to see some new baseball some of the interesting things that i encountered at the game were the new rules that they have that they're experimenting with at the minor league level there is a pitch clock that starts once the pitcher catches the ball from the catcher 14 seconds to release the next pitch 18 pitches if a runner is on base the bases were a little bit bigger. There was actually one pitch clock violation, so it resulted in an automatic ball, which was strange, just seeing I'm not used to. But it was interesting to see them experiment with the new rules and something that I'm certainly not used to, but we could be seeing some of those things in the majors as soon as next year. Yeah, that is crazy to think about some of those more drastic, I guess, changes when you look at the game of baseball overall. Is that really going to be game-altering? Probably not, but... It changes the game as we know it, so we'll certainly see if that's the case. And actually, I was on the same evening over in Minnesota catching a Twins-Giants game. Actually, first time at Target Field for a game. I've uh, been there a couple times, but got to catch a game there, enjoyed my time there. And uh, I have to mention, too, David, of, of all of all injuries, you would think any injury you could still podcast, but I managed to uh, get a, I don't even know what other injuries there would really be, managed to uh, uh, gash open my lip and... Uh, I am coming to you with an injured lip, and uh, I really should be on the injured list. Kind of took last week off as a result, but I will be here fighting through the pain uh, if there's any uh, issues. And actually, on that note, I was look- I was thinking about some of the craziest injuries, which 
there's obviously your, your textbook ones of, of Paul Molitor trying to rip open a, um, I was gonna, it took me a second to figure out what that was, uh, a Yellow Pages book there. Uh, don't see those very often, but I was even looking at some more recent ones that happened just this year. There's been several, I guess, just weird injuries. I don't know if you heard about Jonathan VR snapping a uh, exercise band and ending up having to go to the dentist. We had Max Scherzer, who was bitten on his right throwing hand by one of his dogs. Or Archie Bradley, who also injured his elbow in a fight with the Mariners, um, just to mention a couple. So it seems like the, the the weird injuries have continued. And it definitely has to be more baseball players than... You don't hear of like football players who like got bit by their dog or like some random obscure injury. Maybe football players are just tougher than baseball players or they don't have dogs. I, I don't know what it is. But it seems like it's just it's just baseball players, apparently, that, that do that. Yeah, it seems like it. Maybe... It's because the, the football players beat up the dogs in the case of Michael Vick. <laughs> so the dogs are the ones that are that suffer the injuries and not the not the player. That's it one possible theory. Like a, a baseball one, though. Of course, Jonathan Lucroy with the luggage falling on the hand, Matt Wise and the salad tongs. I always wonder the reliability of those stories. Yeah. Which ones are true, which ones are not. You never really know. Yep. And I think the team would conceal them. Scooter Jeanette cutting his hand on the shower, I believe, happened at one point too even chris narvison i think he was lacing uh, was he i think he had one where he was lacing a glove and then was it Suter or someone else who sprained an ankle getting their shoe off will smith i think will smith okay reliever. yep i think he it, it was him thanks for clarifying the reliever not the actor just to be well, <laughs> just to be been the catcher. <laughs> true okay true true so anyways not to get on the uh, injury tangent but our trivia question for today, David, in 2019, Brewers reliever, name this player, tied the Brewers record for appearances in a single season with 83. So 83 appearances tied for a franchise record. This happening by a Brewers reliever in the 2019 season. So we'll be thinking about that uh, as we go through today's podcast course, as always. Answer to that will be at the end of the podcast. But first, David, who is today's random player of the day? And I hear we have a special one. We do have a special one. Today's random player of the day has never played for the Brewers, nor has she ever played affiliated baseball. And that's Garrett Mitchell's wife, Haley Cruz Mitchell. She is a famous TikToker and current professional softball player. She's originally from San Diego, California, where she earned all Avocado East League first team four times in high school as a softball player. Must have been the name of her conference. She married Garrett Mitchell in 2021, of course, a Brewer center fielder who just debuted. She has 830,000 followers on Twitter, excuse me, on TikTok, not Twitter. She played softball at the University of Oregon for five years from 17 to 21, where she hit 378 with a 543 slugging. She was an outfielder. And to be honest, I'm not really sure what the average is for a softball player. So they seem good to me. I would highly doubt that 378 isn't a good Mark, I would say it's it's fair to say if Mitchell hits 378 for the Brewers in his career, that that would probably be be factored in as a pretty good pretty good career. Probably, uh, and she currently plays for the USSSA Pride professional softball team down in Vieira, Florida. Although she was able to make it to uh, the game for Mitchell's debut and then for his first career start today, as we record this on Sunday. Yeah, absolutely, and a bit of a a bit of a I guess an interesting time where you've got the Brewers top prospect married to another uh, baseball or softball star 
in Haley Cruz Mitchell. So there's today's random player of the day and plenty more to, to cover on Garrett Mitchell and his debut with the Brewers. But before we get to that, David, we've got to talk about the Brewers as a team. It's been a long two weeks since we last turned on the mics. The Brewers now see themselves five and a half games behind the Cardinals as of Sunday night as we're recording here. And what seemed like a pretty sure shot, at least in a lot of Brewers fans' mind, now seem like a bit of a stretch. So let's start off looking at the division first, and we'll touch on the wild card a little bit more. Brewers in a little bit uh, closer grasps in that regard. But are the Brewers still chasing the Cardinals for the National League Central at this point? Or is this? do you really see the, the NL Central as, as being set now that the Brewers are five and a half games behind and, and we're seeing the end of the schedule uh, come up here in, in short order? I think it's possible that the Brewers still could chase down the Cardinals, but it seems like with every passing day, it's a little bit less likely to happen. The wild card seems like a more likely scenario, and the Brewers are the first team out, so they don't have to leapfrog any teams to get into a postseason spot. The Padres are struggling right now, which is a bit unexpected given their moves at the deadline. Josh Hader today, one-third of an inning, six runs, and I think his... He's allowed 12 runs over four innings as a Padre. So, I mean, we could spend a long, a long time figuring out what's wrong with him, and we certainly won't do that today. He's, a, I guess the, it's the Padres' problem now. The Brewers have their own bullpen woes. But it seems like the Brewers could chase down the Padres potentially. The one thing that I would be a little bit more optimistic about is that the Cardinals are kind of hitting their stride right now. So if they are a team that slows down a little bit as we get into September. Perhaps the Brewers could surge then into September and take that from the Cardinals. Yeah, it's it's going to take the Brewers obviously turning around and playing a little bit better baseball or a lot better baseball than they've been playing lately and the Cardinals to cooperate as well. But I do think the Brewers have a pretty good shot at, at still winning a wild card berth. Uh, they've certainly had a knack for fighting their way into the playoffs with much worse teams than they have this year. I mean, think about the past teams that the Brewers made the playoffs with maybe had better bullpens, but besides that, we've got a, a far, far superior rotation offense, maybe not necessarily better, but it's got to be at least comparable to, to a lot of those teams, uh, given the depth that the Brewers have. So I, I, th- I still think the Brewers have a pretty decent shot at, at making the playoffs. Fangraphs give the Brewers a 36.5% chance to, uh, to make the wild card uh, and an 11.5% chance to win the division. I believe last I checked. Uh, but David, do you feel like that's accurate in your book? I think so. It actually went up their playoff chances. So if you combine the two, that's a 48% chance. Their odds actually before today were 37%, but they went up 11% with a win today and a Padres loss. Wow. Since it's now only a one and a half game deficit instead of two and a half. So a little bit interesting how much it swings. They have calculations that are far more complicated than I can comprehend or or explain to you Uh, one thing too that i would note is the brewers have four games against the cardinals left two in st louis two at home otherwise the only above 500 opponents that they play are a three game set back to back with the yankees and then the mets and those are both at home so all the other teams that they play if they're on the road they play teams like arizona colorado cincinnati and then at home they do play the majority of their games at home from here on out they play three against Pittsburgh two against San Francisco who's been struggling a little bit three against Cincinnati three against Miami three against Arizona so those are all teams that are easily beatable 
but they also haven't beaten the teams that are easily beatable over the past month. So it's really going to take a run against both the bad teams and a few of those uh, those games against the Mets and Yankees and, of course, those Cardinals games being crucial. Yeah, absolutely. The Brewers' schedule does certainly favor them. Like you said, they've got seven against the D-backs remaining, six, I believe, against uh, – there's actually seven, I think, against the the Reds, and so a, a, a four-game series against the Marlins. So the Brewers' schedule is set up pretty well in that regard. And the Brewers are not, they're certainly not out yet. They still have a lot of talent on the roster. Who knows what kind of spark Garrett Mitchell can provide uh, for the Brewers out in center. If he can't, there's other options too. I would be in favor of the Brewers calling up one of those outfield options as a September call-up, but we'll see whether they do that. But I think it's fair to say the Brewers still have a chance to make playoffs uh, for sure in the wild card. And the division is a bit of a stretch, but it's certainly still a possibility. But as we look back, I mentioned, David, back to you know even years like 2018 and 2019, where the Brewers may have had better rosters uh, or may have a better roster currently than they did back in 2018 or 2019. But where were they at this point in the season uh, in previous years, such as 18 and 19? Yeah, currently the Brewers are sitting at 67 and 59. If you look back in 18, they were a little bit better, 73 and 60 uh, as of August 28th, but they were six games behind in the division to the Cubs. So a very similar situation to what they have right now. And of course, they went on an incredible run in September that propelled them to that division title. If you think about it, they finished 96 and 67. So from here on out, they went 23 and 7. So that would be quite the run for the Brewers. But it's not that they're incapable of pulling that off. 2019, they were actually only 68 and 65 at this point in the year. So I'm not sure exactly how far back they were in the wild card standings. Of course, that fateful wild card game that we will not really spend time discussing. But they were able to make it to the postseason. They won 89 games that year. The one caveat is that there will be no Craig Tember this season. Craig Tember has been canceled because of the roster, 40-man roster, uh, roster expansion rules being different. We said we'd talk about that a little bit at the end. But it's only 28 and max of 14 pitchers. So Craig Council can't bullpen every other game. Although I don't think that's as big of a factor as it used to be because that was when our rotation was Yolis Chassin, rookie Brandon Woodruff, Gio Gonzalez, Jordan Lyles. Was Miley part of that team? Miley in 18 he was. Yeah, Woodruff was pretty good in 19, but they didn't have deep or high-end starters on their team. And so that's really the way they were able to make it to the postseason the team is more talented right now, so hopefully they're able to get on or go on a run. And if they're not, I mean, that pretty much spells the end of their postseason hopes. But I think there's a pretty good shot they make the playoffs, given the way that the rest of the schedule is constructed, given the fact that they have maybe two opportunities in both the division and the third wild card. The Padres are struggling. I still think the Phillies are not that good of a team. And the Phillies right now are four games ahead of the Brewers, but it's not inconceivable to see the Phillies falter down the stretch, especially with their their lack of defense, their lack of depth. If they have another injury, Harper's coming back soon, but who knows what could happen with some of their other players. I'm not super confident in either of those teams, so I think that kind of bodes well for the Brewers. Yeah, absolutely. Brewers certainly still have a shot at making the playoffs, and I, I don't. None of those wild card teams 
uh, like you've mentioned, the Phillies aren't necessarily a super strong team. Uh, so Brewers, you know, absolutely still have a very good shot. I would say their destiny is more or less in their hands because with three wild card spots, it's unlikely that all those teams continue to play well in the Braves, Phillies, and Padres. Braves, nine and a half games, uh, I believe, or more from the Brewers. So probably out of reach at this point. But I think it's unlikely that the Phillies and Padres both play good baseball from here on out. So Brewers will probably leave it up to their own destiny and, and if they can turn things around, I would expect to see them in the playoffs. Brewers prospect Garrett Mitchell got the call on Saturday. Talked a little bit about that earlier, introduced it, but wanted to go into a little bit more depth now in the episode. We saw him in a Brewers uniform for the first time on Saturday night, and then Sunday got his first career start out in center field and had a pretty good game, two-run single in part of a a rally that he ended up scoring on a Yelich home run, which, by the way, Yelich home run in back-to-back days. When was the last time that happened? But what were your thoughts on seeing Garrett Mitchell in a Brewers uniform on the field? And seeing – I wouldn't say it's like the start of a new movement for the Brewers, but it's the first time the Brewers have had a number of prospects at a certain level that are going to come up soon. And he represents the first of those – those players, Joey Weimer, Bryce Turing, Sal Fralick, Asuri Ruiz. It's a little bit of a, a youth movement that could be coming into Milwaukee. He represents the first one. What were your thoughts in seeing him with the Brewers? Yeah, he's definitely the first of many, uh, the, the start of the wave, you could say. And I, I'm just excited to have another prospect up for the Brewers. I know Ashby uh, was a prospect at a time. I, I wouldn't consider him that anymore, obviously. But it's been a while since we had a position player prospect. I mean, I think back to like a like a one that has the potential that Mitchell has. And even the, looking at the Brewers roster currently, Narvaez, Telez, Wong, Adames, Urias, Yelich, Renfro, um, now, of course, Mitchell. You, you obviously quickly realize the Brewers don't have a lot of position players that grew up in the Brewers organization. None of those players that I mentioned uh, really grew up in the Brewers organization. So... To have a Brewers position player prospect with decent upside is exciting and makes you think back to the Orlando Arcia time when he came up and, and there were big expectations for his performance. So I'm really excited just to have a position player prospect up, big lefty leg kick, really good athlete, really good speed, solid defender and center, and we'll see if the bat can can translate from the minor leagues to the major leagues. So I'm, I'm really excited to see him and just see a new face out in center. And like you said, I, I wouldn't necessarily call it a new era because he's not quite that type of prospect, but a new era in the sense that there's we sense the rest knocking on the door. So let's focus first on Mitchell. David, what, what do you think we can expect from him both this year and beyond? I think it'd be unreasonable to expect a lot coming out of his bat. He's someone who, while he has had success as of late at the upper levels of the minors, he really didn't find that success until recently. And I think it's a little bit of a difficult assessment to make because he was drafted in 2020, was considered to be advanced for his age and for his draft class. 2020, of course, there was no minor league season. Gets off in 2021 to a bad start. I think he was in high A, but he also had nagging injuries that kind of hampered his performance throughout the year. Finally was healthy around midseason in double A this year. Had a 781 OPS, but when he got the call to triple A, but he hit 343 in 85 plate appearances in AAA Nashville. And that's certainly a big reason why the Brewers decided to call him up. 
I think the big thing that he adds to the Brewers is his style of play. He runs well. He's a good defender, and he plays the game hard, plays the game the right way. And having young talent is going to kind of rejuvenate a roster, especially a position player with the style of, of play that Mitchell has. He has a very, I wouldn't say reckless, but a little bit more of an upbeat style of play that could perhaps bring new energy to the Brewers. So I think that that might be what he brings to the Brewers more than a 280 batting average or some sort of production that he has with the bat. Yeah, he really is hard to measure as far as his minor league performance. Like you said, he started in in high A for the Brewers, just 29 games, posted over 1,000 OPS there. But like you said, in double A, he really didn't hit all that well. Uh, 554 OPS um, last year in double A. This year, like you said, improved, got the call up at a 781 OPS. So was hitting the ball pretty well in center field in double A and then getting the call to triple A where he actually continued to improve and, and hit better than he was hitting in double A. I don't know if that was partly due to a very, I would say, loaded talent, uh, excuse me, loaded roster and lineup, I should say, in Nashville that the Brewers have really many of their top prospects uh, on that roster in Weimer, Freelick, Turing. Uh, so perhaps that helped a little bit, but he continued to get better in triple A. And I agree with you. There's not a lot that we can expect from him this year, but it is a good month, month and a half for him to get some experience in the big leagues. He comes into next year, I'm assuming, uh, he, he continues to stay in the major leagues the rest of this year. He comes into next year, spring training, much different attitude than he would have had he not made his debut yet. He's got his footing in the major leagues. He understands what that looks like. He's been there at that point. So it should give him a little bit more comfort, confidence going into next year as well. And he, who knows? Maybe he is a spark plug that will propel the Brewers back into the postseason this year, even if he isn't hitting 300 with an 800 OPS. Um, and so I mentioned a couple uh, other players. Again, Free, Sal Freelick, or Ruiz, who the Brewers acquired in the Josh Hader trade, who were other viable options as well. I heard uh, some debate over whether it was because Mitchell was a better defender or perhaps base runner. Uh, maybe not ba- better base runner than Ruiz, but primarily better defender. Any thoughts on whether we'll see Ruiz or Freilich this year as well? I I hope so, but I don't know that the positional fit is there. I think if Tyrone Taylor were out of the picture, then it would make sense to bring another one of them up. But realistically, to try to get at bats for Yelich playing every day, Hunter Renfro playing every day, those two on the corners catch most of the time at DH, then to have Mitchell, Taylor, and another outfielder, I just don't really see that that other player getting at bats or if he does then it'll cut into the playing time of Garrett Mitchell I think Bryce Turing is the guy that I would be more excited to see the Brewers call up and I think would make more sense for a couple of reasons he's got more versatility the Brewers have been playing him at various positions in the minors they've played him at center field which may be a little bit less helpful given the state of the Brewers both major league and triple a rosters but he's a primary shortstop he can play a good second base as well They've played him at third some, can play a little bit in the corners. So I think having him in September would be valuable. Jace Peterson is coming back from injury, but Mike Brasso is out right now with injury. So Turing could perhaps be another guy to get experience in the majors. He doesn't necessarily have to play every day, but gain his footing, get a little bit more comfortable. And he also needs to be added to the 40-man roster after this year to avoid being selected in the Rule 5 draft. So it's something the Brewers are going to do anyways in the offseason. They're not really detracting anything by putting him on the roster a couple of months earlier. 
you can designate Trevor Kelly for assignment or someone like that, that is kind of occupying a roster spot, but not really producing at the major league level, Alex Jackson, maybe I think two ring would be the best fit. And I think it is fun too. You were talking about earlier, the, the first time in a while that we've seen a homegrown position player, there are actually only two homegrown position players on the roster currently. Keston Hura is one and Tyrone Taylor is the other. Taylor didn't really come up as a prospect. He was really a post prospect already by that point. And Keston, of course, came on and burst onto the scene. He's not really someone that I would compare Mitchell to and the impact that Mitchell could have in his rookie year. But one guy that I was thinking of in relation to Mitchell was Gene Segura in 2012. The roster was different, but they were a team that was kind of average around the trade deadline, certainly worse than this year's ball club. But then Segura ended up getting called up soon after the trade, and he he didn't blow any doors off in, in his production in the major leagues, but he was a spark plug. He brought energy. It was exciting to have a young player and one that had promise, someone who was an all-star the next year and someone who could viably fill a spot, a need that the Brewers had. And so even though maybe he didn't, his numbers weren't excellent, he brought energy and they ended up winning 83 games that year, which was better than you would have expected at the point that he got called up. That's someone that I see Mitchell more being for the Brewers than a Keston Hira who comes up and has a 972 OPS in his rookie year. Yeah, no, I like that comparison as well. Sakura actually was my favorite player for some time with the Brewers for a long while, actually. I really enjoyed him and also played the game right and played the game really hard. Not Segura didn't have any plus plus tools. You know, pretty good contact hitter, pretty pretty steady defender, uh, good base runner, but he didn't have any superstar tools. I would say, but certainly played the game right, played hard, and I really enjoyed his time with the Brewers. And certainly, if we saw a Gene Segura esque career out of Mitchell, probably would be a win um, in in the in regards to the production that the Brewers hope to get from Mitchell over a long period of time. So certainly, we'll continue to see. Uh, how Mitchell continues to play Brewers up. Our Brewers are undefeated, of course, in the Garrett Mitchell era uh, at this point. So final topic here today, David, Craig Council. We, we tend to talk uh, about Craig in great light, typically, uh, usually in the talks for manager of the year, just about every year, still hasn't managed to win one. But one of the best, uh, I mean, even you talk around the league with players and, and they agree, but certainly some questionable moves lately. Would you still consider Craig Council one of the best managers in baseball? I think he is, although I, I would add the caveat that I haven't been the most pleased with some of the moves that he has made lately, some with bullpen management. Also with the Freddie Peralta situation being pulled after six innings on only 82 pitches with a no-hitter. I don't expect Freddie to complete that no-hitter, but you would think if he hadn't allowed any hits that he's going to be your best option going into the seventh inning, especially with a bullpen that's not the same as it was in the first half where it was really lights out Boxberger, Williams, Hayter, seven, eight, nine. It's, it's a different bullpen now. So that was, that was one of the questionable moves. And the other, the other just being in general, his bullpen management, I think it's difficult because he's got Taylor Rogers. Who's a good reliever with a track record. Who's not pitching. Well, you have Matt Bush, who's less established, but is now pitching really well. Williams has struggled a little bit as of late. Boxberger hasn't quite been himself. How much of it is that council's not putting them in the right spots to succeed? How much of it is that they're just hitting their bumps? I mean, there were really no bumps in the road for Williams in the first half, for Boxberger, for Hobie Milner even, who struggled a little bit as of late. How much of that is council? How much of that is just 
natural regression or something that's more related to the player, the pitcher himself. It's difficult to distinguish, but I think it is interesting to note since typically relief performance and situational matchups with relievers tends to be the biggest area of impact for a manager. Yeah, and it's easy certainly to point fingers, and it also was a lot easier to manage a bullpen when you had Josh Hader in the ninth, Devin Williams in the eighth, and some of the past arms that he's had in Knable, Jeffress, those types of arms in the pen. So it is a little bit of a different situation. And like you said, I think the lack of consistency, really especially in the last month, because overall the Brewers' bullpen still have been solid if you looked at it over the entire year. hasn't been hasn't been terrible, but unfortunately we've seen a lack of consistency. And we're used to the Brewers having guys who – you put out Boxberger, you know what you're going to get. You put out Devin Williams, you know what you're going to get. Josh Hader, of course, goes without saying what he was able to do outside of the brief uh, skid that he had at the end of his Brewers tenure. But you Brewers have had really consistent arms in the bullpen. Some, obviously, consistently exceptional in Hader, Williams, even if you want to throw Boxberger in there. Uh, but a lot of those other arms that the Brewers have had in the bullpen in the past, even Suter was a lot more consistent than he's been. And so I do think a lot of it has to do with just overall bullpen performance. And there's still something to be said about uh, bullpen management that council does. But outside of the Freddie Peralta move, which I thought was a bad move, um, and at the end of the day, it's still one decision over the course of a 162-game season. Over, uh, outside of that, I, I think it really has been more uh, poor performance out of the bullpen and Josh, or excuse me, Craig Council not having Josh Hader, the typical Josh Hader that we've had for years, to also rely on when maybe he made the wrong move. Uh, now you've got Matt Bush or you know Taylor Rogers, who's not the same arm. So I, I would be, I guess, slow to judge on Craig Council, especially with the track record he's had. He certainly deserves, I think, a second thought before we jump ship on what I would still consider one of the best managers in baseball. I think also perhaps the best sign of the Brewers coming to life in September is not only Craig Council's September track record, although last year's September was terrible, but I think it's that he needs that September surge to get back into second or third place in the manager of the year voting. We know he's not going to win. It's going to be probably Buck Showalter, I would guess. Could be Ali Marmol from the Cardinals, but I would guess Showalter. But he has to get at least second or third, maybe fourth. But with the way they've played right now, he's not getting any votes. So he has to get somewhere into there. The other thing that I thought of, too, is that we've talked about Stearns being out the door in the next year or two, possibly. And I don't see Council leaving for a big market like Stearns does. But if Stearns does leave, I would guess Matt Arnold would take over as president of baseball operations, or at least the top guy. Uh, And if they do keep Arnold, there's a better chance that he chooses to retain Council. But we don't know what Arnold would be like as a top guy in management. We don't know if they would decide to bring in somebody else that is more established, somebody who has more experience as a top guy in baseball operations that would want to bring in his own manager outside of Craig Council. Even though Craig Council was hired under Doug Melvin, he still connects really well with Stearns. And of course, they've worked together now for, I think this is their seventh or eighth year working together as manager and either GM or president of baseball operations. So that could be perhaps a way out, especially with Council having been a manager for the Brewers for so long longest tenured manager in the NL yeah that would be I would be sad to see council go but you're absolutely right in 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 how realistic that 
I guess could be. Generally, I'd say if Arnold retains uh, his status with the Brewers and, and he remains the top person, I think it's pretty likely the Brewers stick with Council. If the Brewers did part with Council, I don't think it would take long for him to find another job if he wanted one. He's really proven himself as a manager. I, I don't know that there's a lot of... Uh, there's no one in my mind out there right now that I'd rather have managing the, the Brewers than Craig Council at this point. So in that regard, I certainly would like to see the Brewers retain him and uh, I see no reason why not to. So hopefully the Brewers do continue to do that. Uh, and of course, we can also hope David Stearns stays with the Brewers as well or the Brewers win a World Series and he and he uh, walks after that. But either way, hopefully we continue to see a good old Wisconsin native Craig Council managing the Brewers for this year and, and many years to come. So David... As we wrap up here, our trivia question as we circle back. In 2019, this Brewers reliever tied the Brewers franchise record for appearances in a single season with 83. We talked a lot about the Brewers bullpen, including 2018 and 2019. This was a member of that 2019 Brewers team. Can you name this relief pitcher? Is it Dan Jennings? It is not Dan Jennings. It is actually another left-handed reliever, and you got it. That is Alex Uh. Claudio in 2019, tying... None other than Ken Sanders for uh, most appearances with 83 in a single season. You were on the right track there with lefty reliever. That's always a good guess, especially in the pre-three-batter minimum era that we are now in. But uh, Alex Claudio. Dan Jennings, Claudio was never outstanding, except I think his first year was the best year he had, if I recall correctly. But he was never outstanding, but just a guy who went out there just about every day, it felt like. Um, whether it was a lefty matchup or, you know, a, a seventh inning, sixth inning. He was kind of a guy you threw out there, and he was going to be decent. So there's our answer to today's trivia question. David, what is today's stat of the day? Today's stat of the day, well, I have one primary, and then I wanted to follow up on another thing. Today's, I guess, first stat of the day is 1,019, which is Keston Hira's OPS since being called up on August 4th. That was entering Sunday where he had, a, I think, one hit on Sunday as well. But he's been, I mean, one of the Brewers' best hitters this year. Yeah, he strikes out a lot, but he's still driving the ball. Um, he's been pretty good. And he actually has been a, an above-average defender, according to defensive run saved at first base. So that's a positive development, even though he has been below average at second base and left field. He can also DH, which is which is helpful, of course. So I think there is a role for Keston Hira. At the start of the year, we we weren't sure if there was going to be one, but he's carved a role out for himself. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you uh, put up the best the best uh, OPS in his time with the Brewers, uh, th- there'll be a place. So he's actually, uh, I, I know he hasn't had the same number of at bats that a lot of the Brewers uh, bats have had in Tlazidames, Renfro, those types of players. But minimum 150 at bats, he is number one on the team with an 840 OPS. So strikeouts or not, he is still hitting the ball and that's going to find you a way into lineup, which it has been for him. The other stat of the day is it, it was sparked mid episode. So I had to look it up 1150. And that is the OPS of Brewers legend, Keon Broxton, who is currently playing for the Acereros de Monclava, Mon, Monclova in the Mexican league. Uh, it, it seems like this might be a year where he is not in the Brewers organization, which has been a long time since that was, was the case. He's hitting 356 with a 486 on base and a 664 slugging. The only thing is he has only 12 for 20 on stolen base attempts. But I guess you can live with that when you're hitting 
1150 OPS. Yeah, I assume playing center field with some some good speed and defense. So uh, a good year for for Keon Broxton. Good for him. He even last year in Triple A struggled. So good to see Keon Broxton finally breaking out. And he actually is teammates there with Chris Carter, another Brewers legend, who has a 986 <laughs> OPS for the team. So I guess the the three four combination of the two of them. They're they're former major leaguers littered throughout the roster, but those are the the two best ones at least. The two two of the highest OPS guys are the former Brewers middle of the order punch. <laughs> I would love to see uh, leadoff hitter Ramon Flores with a 600 on base percentage in the top of that lineup. Yeah, I, I was kind of expecting he would have a 600 o, uh, OPS or well, OBP when he was on the on the Brewers, but I think he actually might be in the same league. He is in the same league. He plays for the Diablo Diablos Rojos de Mexico. Oh, and he has a 10.38 OPS, <laughs> 455 on base, 583 slugging. So he's having an excellent year. So he's finally having the ex- uh, the uh, expected breakout that I was waiting for in 2016. And he's actually, not anymore, but he was teammates there with Chris Davis, who hit 119 before getting released by the team in the, uh, hmm. in the Mexican League. And they were teammates with Jeremy Jeffress as well, who had a 736 OPS. Or, not OPS, <laughs> ERA. So some Brewers having success in the Mexican League, some are not. And good for Keon Broxton, Chris Carter, and Ramon Flores. I guess. I guess we'll uh, we'll end on that. Good for uh, good for all the uh, past former legends in Keon Broxton, Chris Carter, and Ramon Flores. Uh, Brewers continuing to try to push for the playoffs as we enter September. Brewers five and a half back from the Cardinals and only a game and a half back on the Padres in the playoff chase. Of course, as always, we'll have you covered here. This is Peter and David Go signing off. Go Brewers. Thank you for listening to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. Please take a moment to rate and review our show on whichever platform you're listening on. If you enjoyed it, consider supporting us through the link down below. See you next time.